Welcome everyone to the podcast of Gas Pathways, a new platform dedicated to technology and innovation in the natural gas industry. Today I am joined by Christian Bauer, one of the authors of a new paper on the climate impact of blue hydrogen production. Hi Christian, thanks for being here. Hello everybody. Um, so this paper was quite a collaborative effort uh, among a number of um, authors from, from various institutions. Perhaps you could start off by telling me who was involved in the report and then if you could walk me through um, what the key findings were. Yes, that's correct. There were many co-authors involved and, um, and many institutions as well. So myself and another colleague which, uh, who, is, who was participating, we work at the Paul Scherer Institute in Switzerland, that's a federal research institute. Then people from ETH, so the, the Technische Hochschule Zürich were involved, then from Harriet Watt University in Scotland, from TNO in the Netherlands, from um, MIT in the US, from some other US institutions, and from Polytechnica Milano in Italy. And um, so it's really a, a broad, broad uh, range of, of analysts involved and also of expertise they bring because um, the analysis we did it requires um, knowledge about life cycle assessment it requires knowledge about um, carbon capture technologies it requires knowledge about methane emissions along natural gas supply chains so it's really a collaborative effort and i think we, we managed quite well in, in um, the fact that everybody contributed uh, with core expertise Mm -hmm. And what were the key findings of the report? Um, so, so what can you tell yes. me about the climate impact of, of blue hydrogen? Yeah, we analyzed, or what we wanted to know basically is whether um, blue hydrogen, so a combination of natural gas reforming with carbon capture and storage, um, whether this kind of production technology for hydrogen could qualify as a low carbon um, production pathway for hydrogen and under which conditions because um, we found out that there is no kind of black and white or very straightforward answer either yes or no um, it's just or it's rather it depends on a few factors and those factors I think one can summarize with one first factor is um, the methane emissions along the natural gas supply chain because if they are high, then um, since methane is a very potent greenhouse gas, if those methane emissions along the supply chain are high, then um, the overall carbon footprint of this blue hydrogen is also high and not really um, worth it in the, from the perspective of climate protection. And the second factor is that um, at the hydrogen production plant, the CO2 capture rate must be really high to achieve the low carbon footprint. And um, that's also not always the case. So it really depends on, on how you design your production chain. Um, and it can be done in a way which, which results in very low carbon hydrogen, but it can also be done in a, uh, let's say, bad way, which uh, doesn't qualify as low carbon hydrogen in the end. Mm -hmm. um, could you illustrate that with some numbers? So you, you talk about uh, the methane emissions from the uh, natural gas chain. Um, what sort of methane intensity um, is needed? And also what 
what you know rate of you, you uh, what what rate of carbon capture is needed um, in order to for for hydrogen to be qualified as low low carbon. Yeah. Um, well, regarding the methane emission rates, um, we are talking here about a few percent points usually. So um, at different places in the world, literatures or measure and measurements say that um, the methane emission rates can be between um, let's say 0.5 percent on the lower end and up to three four five six eight percent if if the hydrogen if the natural gas infrastructure is really dysfunctional and there are a lot of holes in the pipes and so on and mm -hmm. so that's the kind of organ of magnitude we are talking about but um that might might not sound as 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 large variation but um since methane is is very much um acting as a greenhouse gas so we are talking about here a factor of 30 more more effect than um, CO2. Or mm -hmm. if one applies the 20 year time horizon as opposed to the 100 time horizon, then it's a factor of, of almost 90. So really small mm -hmm. emissions of methane, they, they play a large role in this, in this context. And that's why also um, such uh, seemingly small variations play a large role. Um, when we talk about CO2 capture rates at the, the hydrogen production plant, um, then high capture rates means 90% or more, basically. So you really have to try to get um, get 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 rid of almost all CO2 which is produced um, when you um, split methane and then um, geologically store it somewhere to to remove it. And um, that's also not current practice everywhere. So I think um, it really has to make sure that any kind of low low hydrogen, uh, low carbon hydrogen um, from natural gas has to fulfill both of these requirements. Mm -hmm. And with regards to methane intensity, where geographically are you seeing the lowest intensity? Well, currently the evidence suggests that uh, countries like Norway or the Netherlands or the UK, they have um, a very good natural gas sector in that respect, so means um, low methane emission rates. It, it might also be due to the fact that most of their production is offshore and there are no kind of shale gas activities involved, which mm -hmm. seem to be more problematic in this respect. And um, yeah, I think those are the, the top, or let's say, best practice um, role models in this context. And I think that internationally one can learn from, from those practices. Mm -hmm. But you also in the paper talk about the difficulty with quantifying methane emissions. Um, there's, there's so many different ways, uh, you know, top down, bottom up uh, methods and it, it's very difficult to get, you know, a consensus on which methods to use. Um, could you tell me a bit more about that? Yes, the difficulty here is that 
Well, those emissions, they are not coming from a point source, from one single point source where you could measure them very precisely over a long time. So to get a, um, a very good idea on the quantity of those emissions with, without uh, major uncertainties, it's the opposite. I mean, those emissions, they can or they do occur at the, at the natural gas well, at the pipeline when you transport the natural gas, at some intermediate storages, at the valves connecting those components. So those emissions are very much dispersed in space. And also, um, they show a large variability in from a temporary perspective. So you could have events where you um, emit substantial quantities uh, within a short time, so kind of accidentally. And if you measure just at that point in time, then you measure a higher emission. But if you measure at another point in time, then you don't um, kind of see these emissions. So that's difficult. And um, so there's the, the approach you, you mentioned, both approaches top down and bottom up. Top down um, means that you really measure methane emissions at the component level and then extrapolate them to the whole natural gas um, supply chain while the bottom up while the top down approach uses remote sensing be it from aircrafts or satellites and um, measures methane concentrations in the atmosphere and then um, researchers aim at, at, at assigning those methane concentrations to specific emission sources and of course that's um, associated with uncertainties because um, in the end you don't know exactly from which which emission source um, some methane concentration in the atmosphere originates so there are other, other emission sources for methane um, be it natural for example wetlands or waste decomposition, then there's the oil, oil sector, which also um, has some methane emissions. So that's the difficulty here. And I think both both approaches come with shortcomings and it's it's widely acknowledged that the uncertainties here for those methane emission rates, they are large and that um, further research is required to, to reduce the uncertainties. Mm -hmm. So what you've been saying is that blue Blue hydrogen can be classified as as low carbon, but you know it depends a lot on how much carbon are you capturing, how much methane is escaping into the atmosphere from the the gas chain. Um, I wonder if I wondered if I could get your perspective on uh, the recent um, study by uh, Cornell and Stanford University, um, which casts a lot of doubt on on the positive role blue hydrogen could play in in the energy transition um their conclusion was essentially it can't uh, but it it should be cast out and rejected um as as a tool for decarbonizing um energy um what's your perspective on that well on the one hand i think um i personally appreciate the fact that uh, this study um, generated some attention for a very important topic, I think, because the question whether blue hydrogen um, can and should have a role in a, in a low carbon world is an important one. And um, at the same time, I also think that there is a potential danger of greenwashing from the industry in this respect. So they might try to sell any kind of um, so-called blue hydrogen as low carbon hydrogen. 
um, without making sure that the CO2 emissions or the methane emissions are really low. And I think um, that deserves some attention and also uh, development of proper regulation frameworks. So from that perspective, I think the, this study from Cornell and Stanford um, can be appreciated. On the other hand, um, I think the authors present some kind of um, bias study in the sense that they perform their analysis um, with a parameter setting which is not really representative of, of, of best practices and therefore doesn't um, do justice to the potential of blue hydrogen. So um, if they conclude that there is no role of blue hydrogen in the in a decarbonized world, then, well, based on the parameter setting and assumptions they take, that's true. But I don't think that's the whole story. And um, that was basically our goal to explore the space in, in, in terms of what could be the potential for blue hydrogen and how low can you get in terms of greenhouse gas footprint under which conditions and then see whether those conditions can be met in reality. And you also note in the paper that well, you you describe green hydrogen as as low carbon as well, not zero, not not you know zero carbon. Um, it it is often in a lot of places referred to as as zero carbon hydrogen. Um, I, I could just wonder wondered uh, why you're careful to state that it's low carbon. What is the emissions story there? Well, the, the story with green hydrogen is a bit like with battery electric vehicles at the beginning, at the beginning right? I mean, they had these slogans, zero carbon emissions everywhere. But of course, one, if one realizes that um, electricity has to be generated to charge batteries, and this electricity is associated with greenhouse gas emissions, it's similar for an electrolyzer, right, for splitting water and generating green hydrogen. Also, this electrolyzer needs electricity and this electricity is associated with this electricity production is associated with greenhouse gas emissions of course within the renewable um, generation technologies so if we talk about hydropower or wind power or photovoltaic power there's also a diversity in terms of greenhouse gas and emissions associated to this electricity production so that's why um, there's also not a single um, number for green hydrogen um, carbon footprints. It simply depends on, or mainly depends on the carbon intensity of the electricity used for the electrolysis. And if we, for example, talk about hydropower to be used for electrolysis, that's almost close to zero carbon emissions. So you would get really uh, hydrogen with a very, very low carbon footprint. So way below those um, numbers which you can achieve with blue hydrogen. But on the, on the other hand, if you think about, for example, photovoltaic electricity generation used for um, electrolysis, then you do have some um, non-negligible greenhouse gas emissions from this electricity production. And then you get in a similar range which blue hydrogen um, production performed according to best practices can achieve. Okay, and what are your, based on this paper, what is your advice to policy makers when they're approaching hydrogen? Well, I think the first and 
probably most important recommendation for policy would be to come up with um, policies and regulations um, in the context of, of low carbon hydrogen production, which really um, make it mandatory to, to follow a life cycle approach, which means that um, both the infrastructure related emissions, so those associated with the production of the of the um, electricity generation technologies must be considered, but as well um, the methane emissions from the natural gas supply chain. So those are the core elements for, for green and blue hydrogen. And if those would be um, ignored or not, not be taken into account, then um, such regulations wouldn't make any sense um, from my perspective because then you re regulate something in a way which which doesn't really capture the important elements and I think that must be avoided at any cost. Okay, um, any closing remarks? Well, maybe maybe as a second second lesson or recommendation for policy. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. My my personal opinion is that um, hydrogen will 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 play an important role in the future in a decarbonized economy, be it as a feedstock in industry or or so as a as a precursor of synthetic hydrocarbons, which will be needed in aviation, for example. Um, and I think if if this if this becomes true, so if, if hydrogen gets this important role, then we will need um, massive amounts of that. And if we need massive amounts and quickly to to comply with stringent carbon or climate policies, then I think there's no way of excluding either green or blue hydrogen from support schemes because support schemes will be needed because the costs are definitely currently at least um, not competitive if CO2 prices are not high enough and currently they are not high enough. So I think um, there has to be done something from the policy side to, to make this transition happen. And I think that's something which shouldn't wait any longer. Well, thank you very much, Christian. Um, good discussion. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another podcast of Gas Pathways, a new platform dedicated to technology and innovation in the natural gas industry. Thank you and see you next time.